Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Magnifying God. My name is Adam Michael. I am your host, and it is with pleasure that we have been going through this book called Prepare to Overcome. We knocked out the first section, which is Equipping the Saints, and it was actually made into a workbook probably about four years ago called Preparing the Saints, and it walks you through kind of the fundamentals of Christianity. And then we get on to section two, which is the royal priesthood. The royal priesthood. And that unpacks some of the things that are were, are required to be a royal priest. Because this is a call upward, and we need to have our eyes fixated on him. And now we've moved on to part three. Now part three is only on the chapter of Malachi, only on the book of Malachi. And now, if we know a little bit about Malachi, we know that Malachi was the last book written in the Old Testament. And when we start really diving into it, we start realizing that it's God's last word before the last days. Now, we all know that we're in the last days. So this is his word kind of before all of this is going to take place. Some of the things that we need to really focus our minds on. And honestly, it all comes down to knowing him, knowing who we are in Christ. We grow in intimacy. And it's so important to understand. We get to chapter 16. Chapter 16 is God's requirement. What does God require of us? Remember, we're called to be holy as he is holy, to be separate. There needs to be distinction. And then on chapter 17 of Malachi, it's about God's reproof. So he starts talking about, for instance, it says in chapter 1, verse 6 to 7, it says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. Where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. And then you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised? So it kind of opens up with this whole reproof that God is saying, you are defiling my altar because of the food you're, you're presenting. Now remember, we are to be living sacrifices for him. So we need to realize that, yes, we need to not present the Lord defiled food. And then in chapter 18, it talks about God's call for repentance. You know, return to me that I may return to you. That's Zechariah chapter 1 verse 3. He wants us all to become back to him. He wants us all to just spend time with him, get to know him, get to know who we're representing or who we're representing. Because if we don't do that, if we don't do that, we're not separating ourselves. He says, be holy as I am holy. It's this upward call, this call to become love, this call to not have any thought of ourselves. That's humility. That is humility. And the enemy cannot touch us in the place if we stay humble. And we give all of ourselves to him. Not just some, all. And there's things in our life that need to get out of us. Need to just get left behind because honestly, this world is passing away. It is a vapor. We need to let this world go. And in chapter 19, it's called God's restoration. How God is going to, is restoring us and how he's moving us from glory to glory, from faith to faith, and how all of this is important in these last days. How all of this is so, so important that we understand the call, and that we look at our lives and we really examine ourselves and we test ourselves 
to know that we're in faith. That we're not in fear, that we're in faith. And there's a lot of things going on in this world today that can really, let's say, push our buttons. The enemy has a good way of pushing our buttons. But see, Jesus, when we grow with him in intimacy, those buttons that the enemy pushes disappear. So we don't have any issues. We don't have any buttons to push. And then we are walking holy and blameless before the Lord. And that's his call. That is the upward call. Because like a bride, we need to be a virgin. We need to be pure before his eyes. Now, a lot of people are like, yes, he's made us pure. He's washed us white as snow. Yes, he has, but he still tells us to renew our minds, to renew our minds. So we have this in Malachi. And this book is packed with uh, things that are really discussing the last days. So with that being said, a lot of people are thinking, why did you go through all those chapters. Usually we go chapter and then we, we stop and then go and do another chapter. Well, Debbie Simpson is on the line and she's going to be unpacking the entire book, the entire part three today. And with that being said, Debbie, you there? Yes, I am. Good morning, Adam. Good morning. Yes. Uh, we're talking about Malachi. Amazing that the Lord has, I remember him just, I keep reading Malachi for some reason, and I remember then you were talking about something uh, specifically about Malachi and how it's it's really prevalent in the last days and like right before Jesus is coming again. And I was like, that's so amazing how the Holy Spirit's bringing us to this book and why it's so important for this time right now. Uh, and with that being said, uh, you can take it away. Oh, thank you. Yes, and before we move into the book of Malachi, I do want to clarify what we mean when we say that as believers today, we must keep the laws, the precepts, and statutes, and the judgments of God, or keep his word. And we've been talking about this quite consistently throughout these different podcasts, and um, I want to make sure that we are communicating properly. Jesus himself simplifies all of this for us in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Basically, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what does that mean for us? Well, for example, Matthew 28, 19 says, go ye therefore among all the nations, teaching them to observe, that's that word keep, all that I have commanded you. So first, when we keep this commandment, then we prove ourselves to love God because he says in his word, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those who keep my commandments, he it is who loves me. So we see that when we teach other people to observe everything that Jesus commanded, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, well, then we are loving God because he told us to teach people that. So when we teach people that, we're keeping his command. He says, if you keep my command, you love me. Well, what happens when we keep that command? Well, then we're laying our hands. We, we lay on hands for healing. We're bringing deliverance. We're casting out, you know, demonic spirits, anxiety, addiction, fear. Well, when we do that, obviously, that's we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're, we're cleaning our vessel. Then we help other people clean theirs. So in doing that, we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. Therefore, we've kept all of the law and prophets because they hang on those two commandments. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Galatians 5.16, just throughout the whole New Testament, talks about we are to walk as spiritual men or to walk by the Spirit. You know, how many scripture references, and this is what we've, this we touched upon this in and throughout, so these aren't new um, these aren't new concepts, but it's how this gets plugged into keeping the word of God, which is the requirement set forth by God on how he's going to choose who from among his people he assigns the priesthood. Well, we've talked that if we are spiritual men, 
And we have the power of perceiving and grasping divine eternal things. This is your definitions. This is all definition. Upon, that upon which the Holy Spirit exerts his influence. Well, if the Holy Spirit is allowed, if I allow him to exert his influence upon me, then by reason of that, I will have the power of perceiving and grasping divine eternal things. By virtue of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this again and again in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 8 through 16. Okay, it's the other continue with this definition on spiritual. That which qualifies man to lay hold of incomprehensible, invisible, eternal things because it is produced by the sole power of God himself without natural instrumentation that I cannot walk in any way that could be given any credit to Debbie coming up with these ideas on her own because she did enough studying in the word of God and she did enough of this and she did enough of that. We talk about the scriptures that we are to walk in spiritual wisdom. Well, that is insight imparted from God himself with respect to divine opinion. If we're saying that we don't have an understanding of what the will of God is, we don't know what the will of God is, and we're not walking spiritual wisdom by, by virtue of this definition. That's what God is showing us in these words. He defines for us what he's expecting us to look like. And when we walk in the fullness of these definitions and we are obeying God, well, if we obey him, then he says, then you love me. Well, then if we love him, then we are keeping all of the law and the prophet. Interestingly enough, if we're also walking in insight imparted from God, if we're also walking in these, the revelation, which would be the removal of ignorance and darkness by the communication of instruction and disclosure, concerning divine things through the Holy Spirit, well, this is going to be serving other people, okay? Because why? Um, because it says that um, when we are walking by the Spirit, then we are walking in the spiritual giftings, in the power of the Spirit, and in the, the real word of God, the word of Spirit. This is what would enable believers then to cast out demons then we're loving our neighbor well then we're keeping the whole law so we also read in romans 331 just for confirmation where paul says do we nullify the law through faith no may it never be but we establish the law what do you mean by establish we bring it to completion we bring it to perfection look at that word established so it's it's through our faith in christ that we bring to complete perfection the whole law, because in Christ we are now capable of loving God per his definition. We're, 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 we are obeying his word because unlike the Jews in the Old Testament who were obeying it without the power of the spirit, but by the flesh and the strength of their own flesh and the strength of their own carnal understanding, we have the Holy Spirit of God. And we have a divine understanding. That's why we can establish it. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, I do not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And we've peppered this whole um, podcast with not as he is, so are we in this world. So also we are to walk ye in him. And we've looked at those definitions for walk and in. And we, you know, we're to be as the teacher and as the master. We looked at the definition for as. So this is a far higher caliber of behavior, of character, than what it'd be naturally produced from born-again believers trying to accomplish this work through just purely reading and studying the Word, but not asking the Holy Spirit to bring enlightenment to what you're reading and studying. So this is not, I am not espousing the Hebrew roots idea that's a, a movement that's out there that probably some of you have heard about where we need to go back. And as believers today, we need to start keeping Pentecost. We need to start keeping the, the, the feast days. I'm not saying that as believers today, we fulfill the law by keeping the old covenant mandates or the practices. What Romans chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 5 reveal is that as believers under the new covenant, we, for example, we keep the Sabbath when we enter into rest. That is, when we operate in belief in Christ, we've mentioned this before, God says in Hebrews, my people have not entered their rest. 
because they have not believed. And we looked at that word believe, everything that was made known about Christ, which we all agree on, but everything that was made known through Christ. is a, This is where people differ. This is what brings to factions. What was made known through Christ? Well, when he came, really the only thing he talked about was the gospel of the kingdom of God. He didn't talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He talked about the gospel of, G, of the kingdom of God and, and, and noted that he was the gate. That was his gospel into the kingdom. And that when we believe everything that Jesus said, then we enter rest. That's per God's definition in Hebrews 6. We also see we walk by walking by the spirit. That's walking in rest. Even as the eagle, the, the face of the, of the eagle on the cherubim, on the veil, even as the eagle perches on high and waits for the wind. And the wind pictures the Holy Spirit of God. And we see that when he catches the wind, then he's able to go about his business without effort in rest. And we operate as an eagle in the upper realms. We achieve our rest. Zechariah 2.5, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So these are ways that we as believers keep the Sabbath rest. All right. How do we keep the Passover? Well, when we put to death the flesh. How do we keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread? We clean out the leaven from our vessel, from our lives. We clean out the sin. We clean out the profanity. That's what all these definitions are revealing is that what is going on in our lives today is sin and it's profanity, and we don't even recognize it because in our definition, it is not. But in God's definition, it is. How do we keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread? We walk in purity and sanctification. That's what God is revealing is the qualifications for the bride, for the royal priest, for today, the messenger of Malachi. When we cast out these unclean spirits of bitterness, of offense, how do we keep the Feast of first fruits? When we offer to God our finest and our best, and that's his indictment against his people in Malachi. You don't honor me. You don't offer me your finest. You don't offer me your best. You are not keeping first fruits. How do we keep Pentecost? Well, we ask for and we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We walk with the anointing of the Holy Spirit through the works of the Spirit. Well, how's that? Well, by, by receiving the gifts of the Spirit so that we can give you, we allow the the Holy Spirit of God to dispense upon us a word of knowledge so that when we are helping someone be delivered, we know what the root issue is that allowed this, this spirit in. That possibly, and we have experienced that, and the people themselves don't even know. The Holy Spirit brings it to light because we were given a word of knowledge. We walk in the anointing through, through the Rima word of the Spirit. As he gives us these words of knowledge, as he gives us these words of wisdom, well, then what are we doing? We are loving our neighbor as ourselves as we utilize this to dispense these blessings upon the people around us. We're told in Romans 12, 2, to offer our bodies a living and holy sacrifice, so we offer sacrifices. It's our body. Is our lives being sacrificed to the Lord in completeness and wholeness, even as Jesus sacrificed his life for us? We see that there's free will offerings. Are we doing these things out of free will? Well, no. In the book of Malachi, he says that my, my sacri- your sacrifices, they become wearisome to you, tiresome, and you snuff at it. I mean, it's like we do what we need to do so we can mark it off our to-do list because we have more fun and important things to do. Well, you know what? That's not a free will offering. What is seen in Malachi today is God's definition of acceptable. And we'll see that if we're really honest with ourselves, the sacrifices that we offer are also inferior. And in this way, we don't keep the word of God. We don't keep the laws of God. It's judgment. It's precepts. The whole counsel of God, even as he says, if you love me and if you love your neighbor, then in this is all the law and the prophets. So that being said, now let's look at the book of Malachi. It'll be helpful if we know the big picture, okay? And Adam, you went through all this at the beginning, did a great job. So you know, I'll keep it short. The book of Malachi was written to all the congregation of God. Even as you said, Adam, this isn't written to the unsaved. But this congregation, these are those who um, 
as as um, God being judge holds accountable to their covenant relationship with him. God calls them into an accounting with indictments and subsequent judgments. So in addition, he proclaims his high regard for some persons over others within his assembly and the reason for their distinction. God does not show favoritism. He shows high regard for distinction among people. Having thus defined for his people that which he finds acceptable and that which he does not, he calls for repentance and pronounces and promises the judgment of cleansing for those who would not cleanse themselves. So again, we see that these are not salvation issues. And this is what I want to keep saying. This isn't about, oh, you're going to lose your salvation or, or, or um, you know, you, we need to be fearful that these are standards that are so high and I haven't kept them and now I no longer qualify to be a believer. Rather, these are the protocols of the kingdom of God in play. And these are for people who are in the kingdom. As believers justified by God and in right legal standing with him, that's justified definition, we have been granted access through Christ into the kingdom of God. But then we are to sanctify our vessel and walk separate. Just like you said, there are many scripture verses that said Jesus sanctifies, but there are other verses that say we sanctify ourselves. They're both equally true. Okay. And what we're seeing here is that each, we are called as believers to sanctify our own vessel, but each believer does this to varying degrees. Kingdom protocol requires proper clothing. We saw that when the wedding guest was not permitted in. If we do not clothe ourselves properly, we do not lose our citizenship, but God will himself clean us. And it is the protocol of his kingdom that all be sanctified. And if we don't sanctify ourselves, he's going to do it for us. And he will do it through the refiner's fire and the fuller soap. And it ain't going to be easy and it ain't going to be fun. We've been given the opportunity to cleanse ourselves. It's a much easier and much more comfortable process. This too is a message in Malachi. So, you know, what were the requirements? Again, this is not, there's seven. This is not an exhaustive list. This is a list that when kept will fulfill all the requirements of the law. And they are, one, that God is kept sanctified, that God is glorified, that those in covenant with him shall keep themselves sanctified. This is beginning to sound familiar. That God's name is multiplied. What does that mean? It means it increases in scope such that it goes throughout the whole earth. That those who are in covenant with God, they shall keep covenant. Talked about all of this. They shall make a distinction and they shall expect that their lives shall bear the judgment of God. These are all things that we've been talking about. To be kept sanctified, we define that. That they shall keep um they, they shall keep God sanctified. We talked about his holy space, his holy sphere, and that they are called to be protectors of sacred space. That's why they have to keep themselves sanctified. They shall keep covenant. We've hit on this every podcast, and we know that if we're loving God and we're proving our love through obedience to everything in his word without partiality, then we are keeping covenant. Okay, we need to make a distinction. This is filthy. This is not. This is acceptable. This is not. And if we're not doing that, we need to expect that our lives are going to bear the judgment of God. And what's the judgment? He's looking for distinction. Distinction. The judgment is maybe just maybe you're not going to qualify to be a priest unto him. That's what these scriptures and God's love in these last days are revealing so that we can recognize areas that we need to attend to so that, yes, indeed, we can become everything that God designed us to be and everything Christ went to the cross to equip us to be. So having just walked out of a study on the bride with the Song of Solomon that depicts a character, the walk, and the heart of those whom God would choose for himself as a priest, as a bride, let's study the character the walk, and the heart of those that God describes in Malachi. So first, he, he's, he's talking to the general assembly. And we find that in God's estimation and by God's definition, they give him no honor, 
no respect, they despise his name, they defile his altar, that their sacrifices are evil. What does that mean? Well, they're an improper sacrifice or a sacrifice of inferior quality. This is evil in God's eyes. Well, what is that? Well, it might be a dead work. We designed, we, we have defined what a dead work is in Hebrews chapter 6. We need to repent from dead works. A dead work, perhaps, is a work that we are doing for God that he never asked us to do and never wanted us to do. It might be a good work, but it's not accomplishing kingdom business, and it's not accomplishing what God wants done. So it's dead. It could be a work of the flesh, that we're trying to accomplish the work of God through the power of our own flesh. We talked about this the other time, too, that we, if we do anything in the flesh, it's immediately a dead work. The flesh is what put Christ on the cross. And we're bringing cry, if we're bringing flesh into our walk, it's immediately dead. And it's immediately disqualified. That's why you've got to be by the Spirit. So we see that God says, you, you give me no honor. Let's look at our definitions. You give me no, nothing that, that would um, be worthy. Because honor is that which ascribes due to position and character. God has both. He says, you give me no respect. The respect is the emotion of fear and dread toward God, born out of a reverence for God. And that fear, that's what would lead to pious behavior. That was what would lead to obedience. He says, you despise my name. You accord little worth and you ascribe little value to my character or my reputation. Well, if God is living in you and his character and his reputation is what is being re reflected. How is that being reflected with regards to the TV shows we're watching or the music we are listening to or what's going on on our computers? Well, when we are allowing things that do not meet God's standard of sanctification, then we are giving very little worth and we're giving very little value to God's character as he resides in us, his temple. God says his people have defiled the altar. Well, it was defiled. It means they have polluted and made a breach in the keeping of the law of the covenant that requires a perfect sacrifice. They have done this at the altar. What is the altar? It's a place of sacrifice to establish or honor a covenant. A place of sacrifice is the place of death. That's where they would take the animal and slaughter it. Have we taken our flesh and we, have we slaughtered our flesh? Are we fasting? Are we in prayer? Are we denying things in our lives that would bring filth to our vessel? Because if we are not doing that, then we are not placing ourselves on the altar and we are not slaughtering our flesh. So in that way, we have defiled the altar. So we see here that the altar, as I said, is a place of death, the substitutionary death to establish covenant. It signifies death to self on behalf of another and death of self should that covenant be broken. The table is the place of God's provision. God has provided the Holy Spirit. He's, divide, he's provided the divine nature. He has provided the, the, um, the scriptures. Okay, this is his provision, and it, this provision depicts fellowship shared among those seated at the table. So even as we saw in Song of Solomon, that the bride is of like kind as the bridegroom. They can share deep fellowship because they are of like kind. Amos 3, can two men walk together if they're not in one accord? Okay, so what we're seeing here is this altar represents Jesus' death on behalf of man. And as the pattern son, he sets for us the example, which is the expectation of our own sacrificial death to ourselves on behalf of Christ. So this is the indictment against the General Assembly. When these inferior qualities characterize our walk, our Christian character, our heart towards the Lord, then what we offer is deemed by God to be unfit, to be disqualified, to find favor in his sight. They are unacceptable, and he is not pleased. Unfortunately, 
in the perceptive eyes of God, he sees in his people an attitude of carelessness toward covenant, as covenant has become to them tiresome, and they snuff at it. So God's people have become bored, tired. This is the definition, tiresome. Bored with the relationship, and they're weary of it. They snuff at its demands, leading them to profane or make common the name of God by offering invalid and an unacceptable sacrifice. We've talked about this. That works. This points out that their heart condition toward, towards him. It points out their heart condition. And it reveals that their lack of honor is in play as they neither fear him nor dread him, as would reveal their reverence towards him. They bring polluted common sacrifices, and this reveals how little they regard the reputation of their God and unwittingly violates covenant mandates. When you've got guests coming to your house and you've got TV shows on that are vulgar or profane, then you're showing little regard for the reputation of God in your home. So these are ways that this becomes applicable. What are these saying? What's God saying? He's saying that the standards are higher than typically taught, are higher than what is commonly understood. But next, that gets even worse. Next, God points his finger at the priests. That would be someone like me. Okay, so let me let me clarify. Okay, there are people groups that are distinguished in Malachi. They're threefold. It's the general assembly, one, the priests are the also called the sons of Levi, two, and the messenger of the Lord, three. So this can be easily likened to the church today. The general assembly can be likened to the average church attendee. Whoever is going to church, they're born again, they're saved. They're taking their family every Sunday morning. The priests or the sons of Levi can be likened to those in the church who handle the teachings or the instructions of the word. This can be done um, like through a pastor, elders, Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders. So when I'm reading this, I'm thinking over the years, you know, I've always been one in the church who's leading a Bible study, who's leading a women's group, who's, you know. So this would be really more uh, a specific portion of Malachi that I myself would look to myself and say, ugh. You know, I'm the one handling the word of God. I'm the one handling the instructions and the precepts of God as I am teaching and instructing this group of people. So with regards to those in charge of teaching, God says they do not keep. They do not lay lay to heart. They have departed from the way. And therefore, they've caused many to stumble. They have been partial to the law and have shown themselves to be treacherous for this reason. Well, let's look at our definitions. His priests, those who handle sacred things, that would be the word of God, do not listen. They do not, here's your shamar, to keep. They do not carefully attend to preserve nor watch over the precepts, commands, statutes, and judgments of God. That's basically, you know, obeying what the new covenant New Testament is revealing through Christ. Okay? A priest, as we've seen, is the one who is in a position before the Lord that denotes rank. He's a minister of sacred things. All right? So we see also that they have failed to lay to heart the commands. What does it mean to lay to heart? They have been, they have not been intentional to place them in the seat of their will nor take moral responsibility for them. This is to lay to heart. Have we, as people who teach the word of God, have we taken moral responsibility for everything that's been written in the word? Have we been intentional to place everything that's written in the word into the seat of our will? The commands of God, by this definition, are expected to be woven into the totality of one's inner immaterial nature. These ministers of sacred things have not done this. They've departed the way. See, when we weed them into our inner immaterial nature, that's what causes our sanctification to become so great that we qualify to be the protectors of sanctified space. 
but we've not done this. We have departed the way. What does that mean? What's the definition? We have defected from the path of righteousness and truth, that which is in accord with the divine nature. If our lives are not in accordance with the divine nature, then they are marked by apostasy. Apostasy. This is the definition. This isn't me saying this. The definition departed the way, defected from the path of righteousness and truth, lives marked by apostasy. Okay, he goes on. These teachers of the law have caused others to stumble. What does it mean to stumble? To fall into sin, leading to their ruin. Well, that's not loving your neighbor as yourself. How have they departed the way? They have corrupted the understanding of the word of God, the requirements of God. All right. They have not, they have altered the mandates. They falsified the requirement through the manipulation and the distortion of the word, thereby destroying the covenant, breaking what was once joined or attached as the sons of Levi. Okay. Those who are in charge of teaching the law of God with equity have shown themselves to be partial to the law. They show favoritism. Here's your definition. They show favoritism to certain aspects of God's word and places a greater value on one precept over another. In addition and of greater concern, they place acceptance of one word of God over another. This was me, and I had to repent of this. This is why God is showing us these things. You know, if you are teaching in your word that there are some portions of God's word that are no longer in play, I believe this is referred to as dispensationalism and cessationism. Well, then you qualify for the definition of partial. God goes on to say that those who are partial, according to God's estimation in Malachi, they prove themselves to be treacherous. This is God's opinion on that. Here's your definition. They show themselves to be one who does not honor an agreement. They breach social responsibilities expected in normal social relationships. When these things are true in our lives, we need to go to the Lord and, and repent and ask him to forgive us and to bring us to a place where this does not define us anymore. Maybe it requires erasing our mind as a dry erase board so that we can rewrite on it the, the, the word of God, that we may keep it so that we're not considered partial and we don't qualify for the definition treacherous. I think too often we read scriptures such as these in Malachi and we assume that they don't apply to ourselves, for which we're very thankful. However, I think, as is shown when defining these words, that if um, we understand what these words mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we realize that they picture the truth and that it is just as much a reality of God's people today as it was in the days of this writing. And I only say that because I'm speaking from personal experience. Everything in this book was true of Debbie Simpson. And I had to repent. The bad news is we as believers are guilty. The good news is, well, now we know. Now we know. One thing of great import is God's use of the phrase sons of Levi. We all know that this would reference the priests as the priesthood was of the sons of Levi. Interestingly enough, throughout this book, God brings stern admonition against these men with the promise of judgment by fuller soap and refiner's fire if they do not repent and become as messengers of the Lord as described in Malachi 2.4. The word Levi means bound or attached to, yet it is obvious from God's description of these men that in his estimation, their lives and practices had proven otherwise. Indeed, in their own minds, they held the title of priest, yet they no longer qualified for the position. Now, I, I assure you, everyone, you know, physical picture, spiritual truth. <laughs> this is the picture for us today and the warning. These men believed the position due them by birth as sons of Levi would qualify them to be a priest unto God. And they had become careless in their keeping of the law and in their teaching of it. God's verdict, they held a title, but they no longer qualified for the position. Believers today believe that the position due them by birth, their new birth in Christ, 
qualifies them for the royal priesthood. But if anything in these definitions describe us, if we too have become careless with how we handle God's word, the sacred thing, then we too are no longer qualified for the priesthood or the position. Levi means joined or attached to. This will be proven not in words, not in claims, but in covenant-keeping obedience. That's what God is saying. God himself will decide who will bear the name Levi. God will call this man a messenger of the Lord. We see this in Malachi 2, 4 to 7. Let me read that. My covenant may be with Levi. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him, life and peace, for the fear with which he feared me, and he was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not bound on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and men should seek the law from his mouth. For he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. So what's God's opinion on this? Well, God's covenant will be with Levi. The distinguishing factor in the lives of those whom God will award this title messenger is the fear with which they feared the Lord to the point that they were afraid before him. The fear, the terror in the hearts towards God was born out of a knowledge of certain judgment to understand that we are going to be judged and it, it'll be the fuller soap and refiner's fire. It's going to purge us and make us sanctified. This messenger of God, he knows this and this causes him to fear definition. So these are your definitions here. The fear is the terror in their heart toward God born out of knowledge of certain judgment on man. That's fear. This causes them to fear, to be broken before him, and it causes them to be afraid so as to be in a panic from fear to the point that it results in pious behavior. What's interesting to note when you look in this scripture in Malachi 2, these are three completely different words in the, in the Hebrew. The fear with which he feared me and caused him to be afraid before me. Those are three different words. The terror in their hearts towards God, born out of knowledge of certain judgment, caused them to be broken before him so as to be in a panic from fear to the point that it results in pious behavior. Those are your three definitions. So now the scriptures continue. Owing to this fear, the law of truth is in the mouth of the messenger. What's the law of truth? His teaching of the commands of God, which are closely associated with the school of wisdom, and of the priesthood, and with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That is your definition of law of truth. Packs a powerful punch. It's not just, you know, a Bible verse that you read today. The law of truth is the teachings of the commands of God closely associated with the school of wisdom. We all know that wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit alone. And the priesthood, it's of the priesthood. And it comes with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So his teaching is characterized by the dependability and the firmness. And it is in accord with the word and the nature of God. And it proves itself to be reflective of one who knows his God. It's not just knowing the word of God. It's knowing the God of the word. We have woven this in and out week after week. There is such a distinction. This chosen one of God represents equity. What's that mean? It means that his walk of life, as the law states, results in righteousness and justice. Equity is the fullness of the law in its totality. It represents the, the judicial, the executive, and the legisl legislative branches equally. All right? This is the one who knows the law and who executes the law. And the, 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 the man of God, who's walking in equity, he himself will bring judgment. What's that mean? Well, he's going to make a distinction between the holy and the profane. He's going to say, no, this won't be part of the teaching. No, this won't be part of what we do. He's going to make a judgment call on that because he operates in equity. That's, a, that's the definition. So as a result of this, his life, as the law states, results in righteousness and justice, the very foundation of the throne of God in Psalm 89, 14. 
the character of this priest of God, it's free from defilement. And as a result, he turns many back from iniquity. So he's keeping the law of God. That's by definition loving the Lord your God. He's turning many back from from iniquity. By definition, he's loving his neighbor as himself. The definition of all that, he's operating in the fullness of all the law and all the prophets. It's as easy as that, and it's as hard as that. He turns many back from iniquity as a chief ruler and principal officer before God, and as one who qualifies to minister to God and be a minister of sacred things, this priest does not corrupt. Think of it like what think of what God, you know, the indictments he brought against the sons of Levi. But this is what he says with regards to his messenger. He does not corrupt. Here's your definition. He doesn't bend, twist, distort, nor pervert the commands of the Lord. That's what he doesn't do. So by reason of this, he turns others from behaviors that would deviate from the standard of God, resulting in unrighteousness and injustice, leading to their ruin. This priest is entitled to the position of messenger, for he speaks the knowledge possessed by God, dispensed unto him by God himself, where nothing is hidden. You know, it just, my mind is blank. It, it pulls me back to 1 Corinthians chapter, you know, chapter 2, and it talks about the spirit of God, searches the mind of God, and it reveals those things to the mind of man. And that's what all this is talking about. This is the New Testament application. Okay, he speaks with discernment. He portrays wisdom and understanding, born of instruction in the law. This knowledge is associated with the fear of the Lord. If we don't have a fear of the Lord, if we aren't broken before him, if we don't have terror in our hearts because we know that there is certain judgment coming, you know, then causing us to almost be in a panic such that we re, it results in pious behavior. We're almost in a panic. We're turning off that TV show. We're turning off that computer. We're turning off that music. We're, we're, we're shutting down the vulgarity in our language and our speech because we know there's going to be judgment and there's panic for that. And we're not talking loss of salvation, but there will be a purging and a refiner's fire and it won't be pretty and it won't be fun. And when we come to an understanding of that, then that's the motivation. <laughs> that's the motivation. And that's, that's the mercy of God to reveal these things and giving us an opportunity to come to an understanding that this is what's in play and we have time to change it. So, as I said, this knowledge is associated with the fear of the Lord. Confessing him, obeying him, walking his ways, his character is more pleasing to God than sacrifice. And he says, your sacrifices are evil, is what he says to the sons of Levi. But what does he say to the, the, the messenger? What he's saying to him is that your character is more pleasing than, than sacrifice. Okay? It is for this reason that he merits being appointed by God as an official to represent divine instruction and divine attributes. Truly, this is the messenger of the, of the Lord. So, you know, to continue with that, what we're seeing is that God reminds his people here in Malachi 2.5 that this is a covenant that he gave. Okay, it has been bestowed upon them by his choice. And is not acquired by obligation. All right, God is not obligated to grant the priesthood to anyone. All right, rather He chooses to whom it will be given. The priesthood is by appointment by God. It is by divine election, and it's not by position or birth in the congregation. I'm a born again believer, so God's obligated to make me a priest. That's not how it works. The reality of this people who call themselves priests, as revealed in chapters 1 and 2, these sons of Levi, shows that they have not met the qualifications as set forth in Malachi 2, 4-7, nor in Leviticus 10. These scriptures is, is a revelation by God of what qualifies one to be a messenger of the Lord. So we know the what. Now, it's, it's the how. How does this happen? Well, what we've seen is that this is a covenant given to Levi. This is the covenant given to one who is joined or attached to God. And this 
is grown up to full maturity through the intimacy born out of the oracle. This, this intimacy that's in this oracle, this is what makes you joined or attached to in close intimacy. The standards and requirements that are established by God, enforced by God, and judged by God have been laid out to a congregation that is being that is expecting to be called upon to judge, rule, and reign. How many times have you heard this? We're going to rule and reign with them. We're going to rule and reign with them. But what we need to understand is this congregation have been reasonably expected to have matured in covenant to a place of greater sanctity and intimacy. As stated earlier, there are varying degrees of intimacy resulting in varying degrees of position and privilege. You know, not all believers operate in the same degree of love for the Lord, devotion towards the Lord, commitment to their faith. So, you know, new believers, as we've said, they have access, ready access to God, even as a child has ready access to his father who loves and provides for them. But a child does not hold a position of authority, nor is he called upon to judge. We talked about that in Galatians 4. In the context of Malachi, God's warning is to those who should have come to this greater degree of sanctification, but have not, because requirements of covenant have been intentionally neglected. We can't blame anybody but ourselves. Once we got saved, we got the Holy Spirit, we were given a Bible. That's all we needed. And if we haven't come to this place in our faith, we got no one to look to but ourselves. The lips of those who teach the word have spoken corruptly. They have diminished the seriousness of intentional sin that would disqualify those who tolerate it from access to the most holy place and of the priesthood. See, it has been the absence of this instruction regarding the sanctity of God, the, the, the distinction of God, you know, the, 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 the distinction of the man of God who would draw near to him and be a priest unto him. These instructions regarding these things, they have become part of that broken down wall and the broken foundation of Isaiah 58. This is what's become broken down. So we have to see the in conclusion here in, in Malachi that um, it is a call to repentance from walking in an inferior walk and that God is looking for those who repent from this, from this type of walk so that they may be numbered among those that God hears and to who he hearkens. All right, that's what we see in Malachi chapter 3, that God hears his messenger. He hearkens to his messenger. This is a select group of people. Okay, these messengers, we see that not included in this group are those whom you would expect. Interestingly enough, in the church today, those would be the ones who see themselves as outside of this indictment, above this indictment, the teachers, you know, who are walking in a manner that they're showing partiality to the law. All right? So what we're seeing, and this is what really hit me, as that was a position that I also held in the church, that this is this is those whom you would expect to be part of the messenger, the sons of Levi, those who hold the name of priests. And yet what we see here, they no longer qualify according to the position, according to the indictment of God. All right, this calls to mind, as I said earlier, believers today who assume their new birth in Christ is the birthright. The same mindset stumbled the Levites, whose assumption led to careless mishandling of the privilege. When believers tolerate compromise in their lives, yet they profess, 1 Peter 2.9, that you shall be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, then they, like the sons of Levi, believe that they can hold the name without qualifying for the position. The conclusion of this verse reads, a people for God's own possession. So these are the distinction. This is the qualifying factors. This is what distinguishes the people of God. God himself defines whom will be these people for his own possession in, in Exodus 19.5. We talk about this. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a people of my own possession 
And then you will be numbered among those out of this group who shall be a priest unto me. Okay, note again, this requirement is to obey and to keep. That is why the priest whom God will choose is by election and not entitlement. Not all people will honor him to this degree. Those who honor him, he will honor, and those who despise his name, they will be lightly esteemed. So, you know, basically the message that God will choose, the messenger that God will choose is the one whose lips preserve, preserve knowledge. Hence the exhortation found in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as an oracle of God. This messenger, by virtue of time spent in intimate fellowship with God in the secret place, he will reflect the truth burst from the oracle. He will speak the law of truth. He will dispel deception. He'll remove the stumbling blocks, and he will turn many away from iniquity. And in so doing, this messenger will keep the word of God. So, you know, what I just like to reinforce is that the book of Malachi continues to confirm and reinforce the truth that there are qualifying factors that will be distinguished some people in God's kingdom from others. They're all in the kingdom, but there is a distinction within the kingdom, okay? That there are places and positions in his kingdom reserved for those who, by virtue of their superior devotion and obedience, have made themselves distinct. These would include the royal priest, the bride, and now the messenger. That's what that Song of Solomon, verse after verse after verse, it extolled her distinction. It extolled her distinction in so many different ways. Malachi pictures God's people in his holy tabernacle. Again, this is a reinforcement. We saw, we see the general assembly, those who operate in the outer court. We see the sons of Levi, those who handle sacred things, but it's yet yet inferior. They're the holy place. The messenger of the Lord, well, he's found in the most holy place. So that's really the, the purpose of looking into this book of Malachi is that it is reinforced again and again. There's a distinction, and this is something that's been lost in the teachings of the church over time. You know, with the teachings of the church, it says that we're all going to be sinners. You know, that to be human is to be a screw-up. You know, to be, um, you know, to walk in a manner that is perfect is beyond our ability, so why even try? Thereby, there's no need to walk as a spiritual man in spiritual wisdom, spiritual with spiritual revelation and spiritual understanding. You know, because we're not going to acquire it anyway, so why try? You know, God is looking for those who are taking the equipping and the anointing that he has offered, and they're turning those gifts into love and devotion towards him. They may not arrive in their lifetime, but before the end of their race is run, they're going to have aspired to the greatest position they could possibly get to because that. That's their heart for the Lord. That's their love for him. They want to dispel these things out of their vessel because they love Jesus. They want their heart to be a place where Jesus can rest. They want to grow in their faithfulness to him, that he may grow in his faithful resting and reposing in, in them. Not be afraid of treachery. Not be afraid of sharing a vessel with the very demonic that put him on the cross and whom he defeated. There are people who are looking to Jesus, desiring a greater degree of intimacy and a, a greater degree of sanctification in their lives because with greater sanctification, they can get closer to him. And that's all they want, more of Jesus. And the book of Malachi is pointing out that God honors those who honor him in this way. So that's, that's all that I really wanted to touch on with regards to the book of Malachi. Again, just to reinforce, there is a distinction in the kingdom of God. There is. And we have been equipped to walk in it. We have. And, and that, 
you know, that's God's gift towards us. And, and that's his desire is that we can as- aspire to this place. And he's given us everything we need, everything we need. And so um, if we don't, if we don't know this, we, we, we won't, you know, try to attain this and it's going to cost us our place in the kingdom. And we're going to go thinking, Oh, I'm the bride. I'm the royal priesthood. And when we get there, we're going to find out that our lives didn't merit such high privilege in the kingdom. Indeed, we didn't even know that there was a need to merit it. I believe that, you know, the belief would be, had they known, they would have done it. And that's what Malachi is all about. The bad news is we're guilty. The good news, now we know. So that's it. No, that's really good. Honestly, it's, it's... It's one of those things that where it's it's an upward call, and uh, you did a great job explaining everything. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, but then we've been actually given the His glory, and we move from glory to glory. See, that's the great transaction on the cross, and and that's why it, it's so beautiful. But He's equipped us to walk it out, just as Jesus did on earth as it is in heaven, and that's why it's such an important understanding that we need. It's because, you know, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. When they don't know these things, they're going to get destroyed. And we've been called to such a great calling. And if we're called to imitate Christ, if we're called to walk as Christ did on earth, (laughs) I mean, that is so amazing. And there's not many teachings that discuss this. Now, keep in mind, it's so simple. It is so simple. To do everything you said, it goes back to the first commandment and the second commandment that Jesus gave. To love God above all things and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then that's it. And all of the things that have been mentioned in Malachi and the royal priest and all that, all that falls under those two things. And a lot of people are like, well, we got to keep the Sabbath. Well, it's easy. You just rest. What you said, Debbie, you just rest in him. The flesh is put to death. You're not working out of the flesh. You're working out of the spirit. That means that you're at rest and the spirit is working through you. And that is the type of sacrifice that God wants. And I know there's a lot of people out there that aren't walking this walk. And it is convicting. It is very convicting. I know what you said, Debbie, that you were convicted. You're like, yeah, I was guilty of of not walking this out. And same thing with me. I was guilty of not walking it out. But the great thing is, is God has given us his grace, his peace, and his mercy, and we just repent. We turn from our wicked ways or our defiled understanding, and we just look to him, and we say, Lord, my life, is over. I give you my life to worship you, to honor you. I honor you with my body. I honor you with my thoughts. And Father, I just want to fulfill your will on this earth. And in those secret places, in that time of intimacy, you get changed. It's beautiful. You you get changed into the very image and likeness of God. So you are a literally a representation of what God looks like here on earth. Just like Jesus is called the son of man, anytime he is called the son of man, he is doing something that we can do. And with this book of Malachi, What happens is the enemy loves to muddy up the waters. He loves to make things and get us distracted. He loves to bring dissension and division upon the very body of Christ. And Malachi is a call really for unification. It's that upward call. And... You did a fantastic job at describing it, Debbie. 
And honestly, this whole idea of the law and all of the things that go along with it, I know that we're, we're bringing in a lot of Old Testament and Old Testament understanding. Keep in mind, all it is is a physical picture of a spiritual truth. And that spiritual truth still falls under those two laws. Love God above all things and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we stay in Christ, he is the fulfillment of that law in us. We need to just stay in him. And then he works through us and with, with us. It's not us working for him. It's, it's us humbling ourselves and emptying ourselves so that we, in turn, can have Jesus work through us. So we're in a place of rest. And we're just resting at his feet gazing upon him, and our eyes never leave him, which means our body is filled with light. And if our body is, if our eye is single and our body is filled with light, there is no darkness in us. Thus, we're fulfilling what Malachi was saying. With that being said, thank you so much, Debbie. Um, I am looking forward to part four. Part four. And uh, part four of this Prepare to Overcome book, that is, I believe, that is the last section, and that is on the Zadok priesthood. The Zadok priesthood. Really looking forward to that. And with that being said, thank you so much again. Look forward to talking with you tomorrow. Thank you, Adam.